back to Masters of Modern. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with my co-host, Ben Bateman. What's up, guys? What's going on? I'm so happy to be here, so hyped right now on this episode, Alex. This is like, this is close to the most excited I've been for an episode of our show in a while, I have to tell you. Wow, wow. What has changed since since last week? Well, a couple things have changed. Uh, the first and the biggest of which is that, you know, they made they made Arena available on Mac like two or three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that happened. I've played a lot of it. I have a lot of thoughts on Historic, which is the thing I've played the most of. I can't wait to talk about that. I think we're going to talk about that tonight. We have played live Magic on stream now, Monday nights, uh, the last three Mondays. And last night, because you have been like <laughs> aggressively trying to get me into EDH, uh, we tried CEDH with uh, with Jim and Braden, and uh, it was awesome. It was really fun, and I built a super super powerful deck off of just a stock list, so I didn't have to like try to. And I had so much fun. There's so many free counter spells and reactive things, and so I've gotten to have multiple great Magic experiences in the last week. When COVID hit, it was tough, man. There was the the playing Magic aspect of my life took a major hit, and like. When you're not playing a lot of magic, it's harder to be excited about magic. It's tough to show up and want to do a great podcast. Like you have to work a little harder. You got to reach in a little deeper, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, welcome to playing magic again. Welcome to consistent magic Cheers. activity. Um, th- this week's episode is actually going to be about that. So we're, we're going to be talking for people jumping in. We're going to be talking about historic and what the historic metagame looks like. Ben has climbed literally from nothing, from the bottom uh, he started, and now he is at what 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 tier are you today? And you're going to even try getting a little farther tonight after we record. Uh, I started from the bottom. Now I'm here. Is what I think you were looking for. And, I, I know, uh, I yes, know, I, I know what I was. I know I was making a reference to <laughs> your backwards reference. Uh, yeah. I started. Yeah, I started in bronze or whatever. Uh, and I and I uh, built this blue black rogues deck that we'll talk about. And I climbed all four levels of bronze, all four levels of silver, all four levels of gold. And tonight. I'm right now on uh, tier two of platinum. So I expect tonight probably I should be able to jump from platinum to to a diamond. My understanding is getting to mythic is pretty hard. So I don't think by Thursday, which I think is when the season resets, I will be able to climb from platinum to mythic. But you never know. It's possible that I like, it's possible I just get like a crazy idea tomorrow. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to do this until I get to mythic. I'm just going to do it. Uh, I think it's really hard to do, and I don't think the deck I'm playing is good enough to do it, but we are going to talk about that because, look, I, I've played for like 10 hours or something, and I've climbed from nothing up into, you know, into mid-platinum now, high-platinum, so. Cool, so yeah, we're going to be talking about that, what the metagame look like. We also have a new way of playing on Arena that we want to kind of talk to you guys about um, that's just like kind of taking advantage of other ways we like to play, and we've been uh, playing, um, and we even talked about like Gladiator Magic, and, and, and that gave us kind of the idea to look at other ways to play on Arena, and so we've been working with um, our friends to come up with a new format idea. And so we're going to be talking through that. Uh, and, and yeah, so to get started, um, let's talk about the deck list. Let's talk about the deck you've been playing on uh, Arena in Historic and how you came to it. Well, I want to give a big shout out to Andrew Kelso and Cam Albergini, who are the uh, those are the nobles of House Modern. Um, Pinky's, Pinky's out for you guys here. Um, we very much appreciate all of your support. Go to patreon.com slash the MMcast. Check out all the different perks and tiers. Uh, we're about to roll out like a second update because we did one right at the time COVID started. So all the fun stuff we sort of had in mind got a little bit put on hold because I haven't seen Alex in like five months. Uh, well, it's also <laughs> it's like, like for instance, we never updated the video on our, on our Patreon or our YouTube channel that were part of the kind of the plans of that rebrand and launch. We also didn't get a chance to like some of the things that we were trying to do were really more dependent on us being able to 
not be in a COVID environment. And so now that that exists, A, some new things are, are around. So all this live streaming we're doing could be featured in different ways in Patreon. And then uh, so figuring out how to incorporate the new norm uh, into our Patreon structure is something we're, we're excited to do. Exactly. So the deck that I'm playing, so, so this is kind of where I, where I started. Um, they've now released a few different uh, expansions in Historic. So for anybody who kind of doesn't understand the, the Historic economy, what makes it a little different from the other formats, just a quick refresher, you know, obviously you have a, a number of sets that are available. Every, every set that has been released on Magic Arena is, that's the basis for it. But the thing that they've done on Arena is they've released these anthology sets. So uh, the expansions like uh, what are the Historic, what is it called? Historic Anthology, right? Yeah. Historic. Yeah, yeah, you said it right. Historic yeah, Anthology two 1, 2, them. and 3. There's been 3. Yeah, and, and what they do, it, it's, it's their opportunity to kind of give you a few old weird cards just, just to add 20 or 30 cards to the format in a way that they can't really do in paper because it takes them a year and a half to two years to react. Um, the last one obviously being Jumpstart, where you had a bunch of other cool cards that were introduced into Historic. So why that got me so excited and where I started was like, okay, what weird gem that I have a, like a real like a penchant for an attachment to do I want to try to build around? Because, uh, you know, there's not that many cards available on Arena and, and these got me excited. So the first place I actually started was I built a blue-green Merfolk deck that was built around Mero because they made, you know, modern staple Mero available in Historic. And there's some pretty good stuff in blue-green Merfolk. You can play the 1-1 the one, one for 2, that when you cast a Merfolk, you get counters. I really like that guy a lot. Um, and I played that deck a bit and I thought it was fun. But... When I saw that Una's Blackguard had been uh, put into Jumpstart, I, which I know you guys know how much I love Una's Blackguard. For anybody who doesn't know what that card is, one black, one colorless for a 1-1 one, one flying fairy rogue. Um, whenever another rogue enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. And whenever a creature you control with a plus one, plus one counter on it deals combat damage to an opponent, that opponent discards a card. So what's really interesting about this card and where I think people miss is that the rogue synergy is one of the only good pieces of rogue synergy they've ever printed. So like, it's hard to make a rogues deck, but creatures with counters on them making your opponents discard when they hit is actually just really good. It's a two mana one, one flyer that just makes it so that everything with a counter on it is a, is a yeah. And, and if you set it up right in like a tempo deck where they don't see it coming because it has like flash creatures and stuff like that, you can set up turns where you're like, okay, I like hit you for three and you discard two cards. Or in some cases where you like flash in a guy, play a second black card and you're like, mind twist, your whole hand's gone. Um, and that can just end the game sometimes. So I built a blue black rogues deck um, on the back of Una's black card. That was sort of the inspiration for it. And there's a few other synergies in there. Um, we'll post the full list in the description so you guys can see what I've been doing. I've been playing best of one. So I do have a full 75 built, but I have tuned this to try to be a best of one deck. Um, and I've tried to tune it for the meta I've been playing against. But the main pieces of it are Thieves Guild Enforcer, which is the M21 card, which is one black for a 1-1 one, one flying flash, or 1-1 one, one flash um, that states whenever a rogue enters the battlefield under your control, mill two of your opponent's uh, cards, and if they have eight or more cards in their graveyard, gets plus two, plus one, and death touch. So at best, your Thieves Guild Enforcer is a flash 3-2 uh, with Death Touch, which is really good. And also, like, the, the one mana with the Una's Black Guard, that's all really cool. So other cards that I'm playing that are just, like, sort of standards are, like, you know, I'm playing like two or three copies of Brazen Borrower because it's a great card, and it's also a rogue. Um, the one card that I added in that I think has been, like, pretty underrated is, um, what's he called? Uh, Fairy Vandal. One blue, one colorless, one two, Flash Flyer. Whenever you draw a, your second card on any given turn, plus put a plus one plus one counter on him. So 
What's cool about this card is that it being a one-two allows you to play like pretty good tempo against the one-ones in the format, specifically when you're getting beat down early by the Goblins deck, which is a big player in the format. Having a flash one-two is a really nice way to just like stop a little bit of damage and get some tempo. But also because of Blackguard, when this comes down, it becomes a two-three. And because Shock is one of the most prominent pieces of interaction in the format, as soon as this thing has come down with a Blackguard, they can no longer kill it as long as you've set it up right so that they don't have open mana. Um, also, Curious Obsession is in the deck because you're playing a bunch of cheap stuff. So Curious Obsession on this guy is really good. Just like, <laughs> I'll attack with my 2-3, hit you, draw a card, and then make it a 3-4, uh, which is great. Um, Brineborn Cutthroat, which is not a rogue, but it's just a really good card that gets counters. And obviously, you get counters when you're playing all your flash stuff. So that's really powerful. Fairy Miscreant, um, which is a fine one-drop. It's especially good in this deck, again, because of the Vandals um, and also because of Blackguard. Um, they just will sometimes come down as two, two flyers for one, which is good. You also want to play on the margins with this deck, right? Like you want to make sure you have enough things that cost two and enough things that cost one so that when you play a two drop, you can hold open like a spell pierce or you can hold open, or you can represent holding open pierce, but also have like the, the thieves guild enforcer open or something like that. So having enough one drops is pretty important. Um, some small amount of permission. I think the deck I'm currently playing has like one essence, whatever the blue, blue counter spell that if you counter a creature with it it's counter target creature put a plus one to counter on a creature you control that card's pretty good in this deck essence capture because obviously the counters theme um so there are situations where you go like one drop creature pass second land hold open essence capture with a black guard in hand counter their creature play black guard holding open spell pierce now you attack with your one one creature that has a counter on it they discard a card and now you're like really ahead right right right, um, right. that's like that's one of my like favorite early turns i think probably playing a second copy of that card is like the more i'm playing it is like necessary um a little I mean, bit of like two dis oh go ahead well if, if if the format is like so represented by goblins and we're gonna get in the metagame and even stuff like uro which are creatures with spells attached essence capture is pretty close to just counter spell right so the fact that it's counter spell plus a benefit um now, can you cast Essence Capture if you, you can't cast Essence Capture if you don't have a creature in play, correct? That's it's like it's negative. No, you can. It's oh, up oh, to. Oh. Put a counter on up to one. Oh, oh, oh okay. So then then, yeah. then there so is just, no cost. It's just okay. Essence Scatter. It's Essence Scatter for blue blue that has sure. the upside of a counter. Okay. Um Yeah, so then I think the last pieces of the deck that I'm forgetting are like I'm playing a single copy of Rankle. Could be two. Rankle's really good. Rankle's also especially good with Blackguard just because it has haste, so it comes down, gets a counter, attacks for four, and then like you get all the triggers. Um, that's one of the problems with Blackguard, right, is that you have to play it, keep it alive, get something in, and then have the chance to attack. Right. So if you can get Wrangle down, you get a lot of pump that's the turn you play it. Um, yeah, uh, Pilfer, Ghostly Pilfer, our preview card, one blue, one colorless, two one, rogue. Uh, you can discard a card to make it unblockable. When it untaps, you can pay two colorless to draw a card, and if a spell an opponent casts anywhere from other than their hand, you draw a card. Uh, that card's good. It always feels like the clunkiest card in the deck, but it's always good when I play it. You can close out games with it really nicely because like you're just drawing lands and like probably making it. It's probably a three two at that point usually because you're playing it later after a black cards in play. So being able to get in for three unblockable is a strong way to win the game. Um, yeah, and then like a couple disfigures, a couple of that that new spell, the black one, destroy target creature or planeswalker, CMC three or less. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I can't even the name of that card is. Um, I think I'm playing a negate. Two spell pierces, maybe one spell pierce. I think that's the deck. I think that's pretty much what the deck is. Um, oh, and I'm playing a single copy of Witch's Vengeance in the main deck. 
Okay. Okay. <laughs> and and okay. sometimes even as many as two in the main deck. So famously, yeah, famously one of our preview cards, uh, our Eldraine preview card, which was uh, minus three, minus three to all creatures of a creature type of your choice. It like was a card that if it had been printed a year earlier would have been more exciting, but because Plague Engineer was in Modern Horizons, it just like was now no longer going to be something that really t- is going to take it under consideration. Though in Historic, Plague Engineer is not there, and right now to like deck zero is the goblins deck so so i think that that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah so that's been so that's been really fun um i i've changed a few things around as i've played with it the shell is pretty close to what i built in the first place um it's it's like pretty interactive and also it just seems to get around what people are doing people don't see it coming there aren't a lot of decks that deal with blocking flyers that well so as long as you can stop them from doing what they're doing um you know you have enough interaction you can put like board states together pretty fast where you're attacking for like three or four or five in the air and end the game pretty fast the one thing is the deck does run out of gas like a lot of the decks i like to play it plays a lot of low cmc cards you don't have many catch-up cards which is why rankle is so important and i think why probably a second copy of rankle is good definitely there are definitely some interactions in the deck that feel really powerful like there are some things that just feel really good um you know take for instance like Sometimes there'll be combat situations where you'll flash in a Thieves Guild Enforcer with a Black Garden play, and you'll have sequenced it just right, so you know, okay, I'm going to flash this in. It's going to get the last two cards in their graveyard, because I already have six and I've counted, and you know, it's going to pump my Brineborn Cutthroat one. It's going to come down, get a counter on it, so now I'm going to be blocking with like a 4-3 Death Touch that came in for one mana that they like didn't see coming. There's some plays like that that just blow people out. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and you once you play the deck enough, you start to figure out like where those are. I definitely think the card I would probably think about cutting would be the Ghostly Pilfer, just because I think having a sorcery speed two drop is like never something I want in the deck. But right now there's not something better than that. Sure, and it does sure. add some inevitability to the deck. And you were just talking about one of its biggest problems is it doesn't have like something to do late game, right? Like you're running out of gas and like that card by itself builds gas, right? It, based on the fact that it can basically take a map, like whatever if you draw are drawing lands every turn or drawing cart creatures that are just like mediocre, you can turn them into unblockable damage every turn and, and draw up from there. There's also the fact that that card with curious obsession is excellent. Sure. It's one of the yeah. best, it's one of the best curious obsession targets probably in historic. I would think just because if you can find any way to protect it, you're attacking for three, every turn drawing the extra card, the discard to make it unblockable and having the ability to draw another card during upkeep for two, at which right. point like you probably are holding up on a counter spell. Um, and that's really good. And I, I think there's, there's maybe a different deck. There's maybe a different curious obsession, ghostly pilferer deck that I could build. That's not taking advantage of the synergies of this one as much, but it's really just trying to, to make that happen. Cause they also printed curiosity into, into the format. You can play curiosity as well. So there's some cool stuff there. But yeah, so that's uh, that's kind of what I'm doing with the deck. Um, I've played most of the important matchups in the format. Um, you know, I can go through some of those. Uh, and, and before we get into it, because the next thing I want to talk about is like kind of what does what does the metagame of Historic look like? What what are kind of the big decks? Obviously, Goblins is something we mentioned, and we can go over that as well. Um, but before we do that, make sure uh, to... Uh, if you're watching, follow, subscribe, make sure to hit the like button. It's a big help for all algorithm reasons. So you doing that is a favor to us and we appreciate it. Uh, if you, we'd love to get a comment. If you, if you think of cool cards that would work in Ben's deck, or if there's a deck you'd like Ben to try out in historic, we'd love to see lists. Um, so please comment them below. Uh, and, and we'd love to check those out. And then also, 
Uh, once again, subscribe, like, all those good things. If you're watching on, uh, if you're listening or you're not watching on YouTube, we do this on YouTube. There's a bunch of card art. It's a cool place to check it out. Um, and then also, as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we're now doing live streams of um, Commander content every Monday at 8.30. So you can go check out uh, on either the YouTube channel, we'll, we'll live stream it, or also um, on twitch.tv slash Kess Wiley. And then Ben on Bateman Bateman Streaming, which is twitch.tv slash Ben Bateman Streaming. Uh, is doing just streams regularly, uh, multiple times a week. So it's also an, another good place to follow. He's also hit an affiliate as of this week. Congratulations, Ben. Today. As of today. So uh, you eventually will get cool emotes. Uh, I don't know what they'll be, but they're going to be sweet. Um, if you follow me, you get a Baby Yoda emote. He's drinking tea. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, so so um, historic. The metagame of historic. Uh uh, obviously right now it looks like deck zero is the goblins deck. This is taking advantage of the new card Muxus, um, which is a goblin uh, for, for six mana, four red, red, four, four goblin, noble, legendary creature. When Muxus goblin grant grandy, grandy goblin, grandy. when Muxus goblin grandy enters the battlefield, reveal the top six cards of your library, put all goblin card creature cards with converted math cost five or less from among them onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library library in random order. When Muxus attacks, it gets plus one plus one until end of turn for each other goblin you control. So he's just like siege gang commander on crack, right? Like he just comes in, gains you so much value, puts so much power in play. You can get him into play as early as turn three, I believe. So if you play skirt prospector into goblin, it's uh, yeah. Goblin instigator. You have uh, the six mana you need on turn three to be able to go off, um, and it's just like super powerful. Plus, it just plays the conspicuous snoop uh, backup game plan that does really cool stuff like Crinko Mob Boss. The amount of times I've actually been blown out in Historic with a conspicuous snoop and a mo- uh, a war boss was on top, Crinko was on top, and they were just able to make like six tokens. And I was like, I don't know if I could actually ever beat that. Um, as it makes me sad. <laughs> But yeah, so Goblins is on top. How how do you feel about the Goblin decks just like running rampant? Well, you hate the Goblins deck. Um, the funny thing <laughs> is I've played against the Goblins deck probably like 15 times now, and mm-hmm. uh, they've never resolved the Muxus against me a single time. Um, and it's probably so it's, one of the like, strengths your deck has. That. Say what? It's probably one of the strengths your deck has, right? It can prevent them from playing some of their big plays. Yeah, I mean, when I was playing early, I was running against it. And so I started to tune the deck a little bit more to make sure that I had answers for it. Because the way that the Muxus deck sort of works is like, if they if they resolve Muxus, whether they have a big board or they just resolve it without a big board, uh, it's pretty game-breaking. Like, it's a huge card. And there are a few other plays the deck has. Like, definitely, if they can get down a Lord that gives their guys haste and then resolve Krenko or something like that, like, they get a lot of goblins. It's hard for you to come back from that. So there's the things you have to kind of make sure you keep off the board are the, the lords. So there's the cost reducer three drop lord, and then there's the haste plus one plus one chieftain lord. Those guys are really important. Um, and then Cranko himself, obviously. But the thing about Cranko is that Cranko costs four. So if they don't have haste on Cranko, they're they're investing a lot of mana into that turn, which like drown in the lock. Oh, I'm playing two drown in the locks. I didn't mention that. Drown in the lock is a really important card in the deck. It's like drown in the lock or like the essence capture card I was talking about. Um, those are all really good. You know, having the borrowers are really good. If they like resolve the, the Cranko and they don't have haste, and you just like bounce it. It's like a full on time walk. Um, you just need to make sure you have like a a, a clock. The, the whole reason which is vengeance is even in the deck is that I hate the goblins deck so much that I just like, <laughs> need to need to like have a way to kill them. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And then I mentioned some of the some of the flash stuff is really good, like trading with their lords if they get greedy and they and they don't see it coming. Like Brineborn Cutthroat is just a good removal spell. Like flashing that in and blocking Chieftain is like super strong. Sure, sure. Um, 
and, and the thing is, if they get greedy, that's the thing about that deck that's interesting. That deck, if they take their time and they don't go for it every turn, probably wins. But if they take their time and they make, yeah, yeah, sorry. If they take their time, they don't go for it. But if they go for it and they're like, I'm going to push maximum damage here and then also try to combo off and you can interact with them, you can stop what they're doing pretty hard. Because like ringleader's fine, but it doesn't do anything other than just fill their hand. Sure. And Kranko's great, but it doesn't do anything if it doesn't have haste. And like, you know, Muxus is awesome, but it doesn't matter if they can't cast it. So it's basically the Lords and Prospector, which you have to kill. Um, that's what I found so far. Anyway, I've definitely I've, I've lost to it, but I've never lost to a Muxus. So um, that deck is really good. I think that's one of the most powerful. The Uro decks are probably the most impossible decks for me to beat. Yeah, I, think, yeah, I think like Teamer Reclamation, Uro Growth Spiral, like stuff that currently actually even in Standard is doing really well. Um, is I, I think actually Teamer Reclamation is the most featured according to MTG Goldfish uh, archetype currently on in in Historic, and it just is playing. Just all of the good ramp spells that have existed. It has Explore available to it as well, right? Which is an insane combo of cards. So there's just a lot of really powerful things. Um, and then uses Expansion Explosion as its main... And Shark Typhoon as its main to... Um, I have double the mana because of Wilderness Expl- or uh, wilderness Reclamation in play um, combos. And yeah, and yeah I, I think this is like... Like, there's just a lot of card calls for uh, Grow Spiral to be banned in multiple formats just because it's so powerful. And I think even before uh, the ban announcement, Wilderness Reclamation was on a lot of people's chopping lists. And this has just, you know, replaced the um, extra turn card that got banned that I'm now forgetting. Nexus of Fate. Nexus of Fate with Expansion Explosions and Shark Typhoons. And that, and, and that's pretty much enough to, to, to keep it on top. What's interesting about that is it, Shark Typhoon is such a good card because it... It, it like i mean against my deck specifically it's quite good because like for four mana they can usually block and kill whatever flyer i have and also draw a card and they like are ramping so that's a turn three play for them but it's not counterable right because it's a cycle effect which is what makes it so good um i i still think the number one card is uro i like i could really uro and field are like the two cards that i play against that i'm like these don't feel very fair like they it you know they feel sort of silly um because because the golos deck there's a there's a golos ramp deck that's you know, pretty pretty good also right at the top. Like mm-hmm. the big mana decks are, are seem to be the most powerful things people are doing. Right. Um, right. So yeah, I mean I think you know tuning my counter magic probably to be able to beat those is important. Um some of the other stuff that you are playing against is there's a mono blue tempo deck. It's very similar to the one in standard from a few years ago. Um, you know, it's Curious Obsession and Storm Tamer, Spectral Sailor, like just a lot of the cards you're used to seeing. Um there's like a sacrifice deck that people play with Mayhem Devil um croxa a few other things like that that's a pretty cool deck you know plays cat oven um goes a gruel aggro deck a lot of people play there's a soul sisters deck that's been popping up more and more i see like a lot more of it now um, uh how often are you running into kept combo i've not played against kept combo once okay that one that one i'm 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 is pretty sweet it's just like able to use mox ambers and Kethis to like go off and and do insane things about it, it's pretty sweet definitely it's like kind of the like by turn five, I will combo resiliently deck in the format, which yeah. I think is really interesting. Like Historic has gotten its own version of Splinter Twin in some ways with this deck. It's just, I think it's also like extremely difficult to play and it's all mythic rares, basically. It's like a, just a deck yeah. filled with mythic rares. So like a lot of people just don't have the wild cards to be able to build it. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, we can talk a little bit rather than just talking about sort of all the best decks. I think talking about what the format's doing, you know, because we're a yeah. modern podcast, obviously, sort of, sort of comparing it to modern, like, and figuring, because what I was saying to you when I called you about it, I was so excited to talk about it, is like, this this actually feels a little bit less powerful, but similar to playing modern in 2012. This feels a bit like it was at, in, in the early days, those early, uh, like, world championships and, and you know, around the time we were getting bannings. Like, you don't have as, you don't have as good of cards as, like, you know, Dark Confidant, Liliana, Tarmogoyf, like you don't have those level I mean, cards. Kind of like Uro is easily at that power level, right? Like you have Teferi and Narset and like you have all the yep. War of the Spark cards. Like, like remember, like part of this format is it's made out of 2020 and 2019 magic, which is historically and famously the most broken two years of magic. So though it doesn't have, I think it doesn't have the breadth of power level that those formats had, right? It doesn't have the like, that many of those cards but it's it's still has cards that are at that power level and it has a lot of them and like in the reverse modern had a much larger ban list right like a lot of the cards that were problematic like that you know were immediately banned so I, I think it actually might be i agree with you i think it feels comparable in power level to modern back in the day the removal is yeah it's totally so so can we, we can't we pull up the most played cards in historic isn't that like a thing we can do yeah Maximize. All right. So not only can you see the most played cards in historic, but it's currently being recorded. This is a new feature <laughs> as part of the podcast. Um, so these are the most played cards in historic. So the top 10 cards overall, Mystic's Dispute is number one, followed by Aethergust, then Uro, yep. and Grow Spiral, uh, Best Friends Forever, uh, Bone Crusher Giant, Teferi Time Raveler, Scavenging Ooze, Red Cap yep. Melee, uh, Negate, and Shark Typhoon. Um, top 10 creatures, uh, things that were missing. You have, uh, Goblin Ra Ruin Blaster, which is one of the best land removal spells in the format. Questing Beast, Brazen Borrower, Llanowar Elves, uh, Shifting Ceratops, Robber of the Rich, which is sweet, and Goblin Chain Whirler. Um, yeah, good. and then spells that weren't mentioned that are in the top 10 after that. Embercleave, um, Shatter yep. the Sky, which is the best board wipe, and Dovin's Veto. Um, and then just lands you can look at as well. But, but if we want to look at... So even yeah, more so some of the stuff so, so so yeah click on exactly so so, so a couple things that to really point out that i think uh, if you're comparing to modern so we don't have lightning bolt um we have shock we have lightning strike those are the those are the two burn spells that that compare right so people playing the red decks um will often be playing shocks as a piece of interaction and for the most part of the format that's fine it gets the job done you guys have seen it in standard you you know shock like i think i think lava lava coil to me would be where i would like the closest red removal spell right where it yes it costs two mana but like everything is a mana more than a modern for the most part and so you have but lava coil doesn't but lava coil doesn't hit a player and so the so lava coil is really good if you're specifically trying to kill creatures but for for decks that want to have like the that versatility so the mono red decks you know or even even the control decks like i played against like a thousand year storm deck like they're playing lightning strikes and shocks because they want to be able to control the game but also win the game um so that's like your red, you know, your main red thing people are doing. Um, we mentioned goblins. That's the best red deck, you know, so like in terms of pure red, you know, you talk about black, there's no, there's no efficient hand disruption for, for one mana. Duress is the closest you get. It's fine. Duress is okay. You don't have an Inquisition or a, or a Thought Seize. There's a two black card. Some of the black decks will play. There's like a mono black deck a lot of people will play. Um, and it's like, look at it, target opponent's hand, exile an online card from it, lose one life. Um, 
that's something people will play, but there's not like a good turn one thing. Murderous Rider, just like it is and was in standard, is good. Like people like that card a lot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You have the newer removal spells, like the ones that were just printed. So I mentioned the one black, one colorless card destroys a uh, creature or planeswalker, CMC three or less. You just were clicking a heartless act there. That's definitely a good one. Um, you know, that's the card ag yeah, exactly agonizing. Um, duress so that that's like the things people are doing in black for the most part there's a zombies deck um there's a vampires deck that's like pretty good it's not that far from the one that we saw in standard mm -hmm, so you mm -hmm. know night of the even legion is in there um um then in green mono green you got land of elves yeah you definitely see a good you see a good amount of elves there's a there's a crater hoof behemoth like marwen you know big mana elf deck that that i i play against a bunch um it's another reason why i think having Witch's Witch Vengeance in the main is actually pretty relevant. I actually earlier today was playing a game and I Witch's Vengeance and I six for one of them and I still lost because Marwin was, was already Marwin was already too big and like they just played Marwin and then played Craterhoof the next turn because Marwin was huge and I couldn't deal with the Marwin and a Craterhoof and I lost after six for one them. Um so that's like sort of what they're doing in green. You know, you you have the elves deck and then other than other than like Lanor Elf really Scavenging Ooze, you mentioned, is, is a good creature. Questing Beast, you have, you have good creatures, but that's kind of what green has. You don't really have much else other than like really good creatures. I mean, Scavenging Ooze um, is a pretty big deal. Um, yeah, it's, it's great. And and like Uro and Grow Spiral, right? That's green. I guess there, there's blue on the other half. It's, but, but, like, but I was going to say it's blue green, green though. Like, I, because, because like I'm thinking like, you know, in, in terms of mono color, like what are the things you're doing? Like, why are you in a color? Um, that's like what I'm trying to establish first, because I think it's Wilderness Reclamation too, right? Like Wilderness Reclamation yeah. is is the green card defining the format with Llanowar Elf being the other one, like kind of the two decks you described. Like those are the two things to really look at, and then Uro and Growth Spiral and and really lead you down those paths as well with like yeah. Explore being backup Growth Spiral. So I think I think that's like the ramp of the format is what Green is doing, which is normally what it's doing. Yeah, um, White doesn't have much. It's got Glass Casket. You know, so exile something CMC three or less. It's got the Soul Sisters cards, which are good. Like definitely, the Soul Sisters cards are good. Like that deck, that deck is powerful because it's it's playing a Johnny's Pride Mate. You know, so you're able to make it big when you gain life. It has Soul Warden, um, but it also has the one mana card from Theros that uh, you can sacrifice to give target creature or enchantment you control protection from the color of your choice till end of turn. Mm -hmm. So having that in play, and I think it has Lifelink as well. Um, just having that guy in play makes it pretty hard to interact with the deck. Sure. Um, plus, they have Sarah, Sarah Ascendant was like the really sweet card that got reprinted that makes that deck like legitimately good. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because if they get out in front of you fast, it's it's hard to it's hard to beat the Sarah Ascendant. That card's sure, really good. sure, sure. Uh, I I also think I also think like once again on gold cards, like obviously Teferi Time Raveler being a white card or part like requiring yep. you to be in white is like enough to be in white. You also have like Dovin's Veto. Um, the board wipe shadow of the sky and then settle the wreckage, um, are also just like, yeah, those are both strong. I mean, shadow, like, powerful. like, uh, shadow of the sky is really good. Um, you know, those are both good enough to, to, to count as four mana sweepers. Red has the four mana sweeper also like four to all creatures and planeswalkers mm -hmm. for, for what, red, red too. What's interesting about this format is for a while, it was kind of joked that like blue wasn't the best in modern in, in different ways, yeah. right? Like people were always like, oh, blue needs to be better. It needs something to do. Um, and um and like snapcaster mage was like kind of the main thing it was powerful in the format and like this format like pretty definitively blue seems like one of the most powerful things you're doing in the sense that like it's either being paired with stuff like uro and ghost spiral or teferi 
and and Dovin's veto, and you have like this weird kind of uh, uh, relationship where all these cards are just so powerful, b- splashing other colors. Um, and yeah, so the mono blue stuff. There. The mono blue stuff is mostly the sideboard stuff, as you can see. The top two cards, dispute and gust, those are like those are standard all stars. But people people know those cards well. It's just that there are so many good blue cards running around between your Teferi's, your Gross Biles, your Uros. Um, that you kind of just need those cards. Right, and, and Mystic like, Dispute you, they're is almost like, main deckable. I mean, Mystic Dispute is like blatantly a main deck card, right? Like it, it the fact yeah. that it's like extra good against blue decks is a bonus, but like mana leak for three mana is not disserviceable when you also get the advantage of it's just like bonkers against a blue card in a format where blue cards are good. Yeah, I don't play Dispute main deck in my deck. Um, I probably could though. I probably should honestly. I, I probably should just replace. I probably should just like replace some of the weaker counter spells with it, but yeah, so that's that's kind of like what the what the mono color stuff are, like mostly are do, like they're mostly doing. Sure. Um, you know, you mentioned a lot of the, the multicolor cards and kind of what makes them powerful. Um, but yeah, it doesn't. It definitely does not feel like it's you know modern was designed to be a turn four format. It doesn't feel like a turn four format. There's a couple things you can be doing. The most powerful things that can get you pretty far on turn four. We obviously mentioned goblins can go nuts. But for the most part, the games are ending on turn five or turn six. Yeah, like that's that's, that's where it is. It's it's interesting, like where where it used to be. Like it, the idea was like standard was a turn five format. When really standard has become, or Wizards has aimed for it to be a turn six. Historic does fit into that turn five space because um, Pioneer kind of ended up being just another turn four format. Modern like is a turn three, turn four format. It's like hybrids between the two of them. The problem with modern is you can't really let it get better than that without something like Force of Will existing because like most decks then just won't be able to handle it. They won't be able to deal with it, yeah. which, you know, there's an argument that Force of Will should just be printed in the modern. The Force of Negation is doing a lot of work there. So obviously we'll see where that ends up. Yeah, but like it, it definitely feels like the format is really, really ripe to be explored. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I think, the thing that I think makes it so wonderful and why I've enjoyed playing it so much is that not only do I like the cards, like not only do I think like they're just pretty great, um, but I think the fact that they can react so quickly because it's on Arena means that this format's going to grow and evolve and develop pretty organically. Mm-hmm. And and they, a few times a year, uh, you know, if they're like, hey, on Thursday, we're releasing this set. Oh, you know what? It's Monday. We didn't put this card in. Can we get this card set for Thursday? This one card? I think we should add this one card. Like, I don't know the inner workings if they can actually do that, but in my mind, they're <laughs> able to. Because, like, well, and, why and, not? Like, <laughs> And, like, the fact that every, like, three months it feels like they have, like, kind of the idea that they'll be scheduled to release a new set. So we're we're getting uh, Amonkhet in August, right? Um, or Amonkhet Block Remastered will be released. And we just got Jumpstart. And so there's going to be a consistent release of content onto it that isn't released into other formats it's kind of why i mean we did the whole episode on pioneer right we did an episode talking about how like pioneer is always going to be is like kind of dead and and one of the arguments in that episode was that historic is always just going to be a more interesting pioneer or 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 is moving towards that point just because like because of the anthology series because of jumpstart now these are cards that just you can't play in pioneer and you never will Right. Pioneer will always not have access to these really cool cards. And so the, what's the point? Why not just play historic? Why not play this format? That's a lot more fun and cool. Um, that has a meta game that's built around it and people are excited by. Um, and to me that like leans me to believe that wizard should just paperize historic. That's always where kind of I've, I've decided I've, I've actually been there even before pioneer was announced. Like one of my complaints for pioneer 
was that it was announced like the week after historic was announced. Well, here's what's really interesting about that. So when they say it takes a year and a half to two years to design, you know, source, print, distribute a set, right? Like we know that there's a lot of things that go into that decision. Mm -hmm. I think it's 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 mostly the design 12 months. Yeah. It's mostly the design. That's the thing that takes the longest. It's, it's, it's like, but imagine that you don't have to do any of that testing or design. And all that's happening is you're saying like this thing that works here, we're going to just take it and we're going to make a bunch of cards and print this historic masters in paper that reflects this thing that's working. And, and we can do it because we can decide these are the cards that we're printing and we can release this three to six months from the time we decide to do it. It doesn't take as long because there's no testing because it's all reprints and we already, we have an active metagame where we're looking at as we're doing it. I don't know if that's possible, but it, in my mind, when I think about it, it's like, I mean, you and I spend a lot of our time talking about retail and, and selling and distributing. And like, we know the timeline on things is long, but it's not crazy long. It's not like a year long. Sometimes uh, it's, it's like nine, months. Like, it's like nine months, right? Like for a new product, if, if for a, a toy that we have sold and is coming out in February of next year, you know, we began selling it to people starting in March this year. Uh, there was a four month development time for that product ahead of that. And we have a very short development time schedule compared to wizards, right? They have at least two, a year and a half of development time on a set before the point where they start showing it off. Right. So, um, then, so then we, we then pitch it to everybody, right? We show it to everyone. And now into June, June at the latest for a product that's going to require new tooling is as late as we generally would like to get confirmation so that we can start getting designs in so that the design artwork can get into factories. Factories can then cut tooling for wizards that would be making print plates. Um, and then that takes 60 days. Um, so then we're looking at September. Um, it then takes another 30 days to 60 days to produce that product for wizards. It's probably 90 days because they make so much more than we do of a single product. So that puts them end of December and then takes a month to ship. So just from like selling it, getting confirmations of orders to release of printing, that's a year. Um, not to mention development of product and, and everything else. So I, 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 that's about the timeline for us. And we're a nimble toy company, right? We, we only have X amount of people or relatively small. We have a few we can, tricks yeah, we can under our belt fast. to react pretty fast to things. Um, and so that, that's, that's us. I, yeah. I can't imagine wizards is that, I mean, they have some different advantage, right? They don't really have to sell, excuse me. At least they don't really have to sell their standard releases that that takes. That's like every store that's buying it this year, we'll buy it again next year, same time each year. And they just, it's the new product that sits on the shelf in that space. So that makes their lives a little bit easier, but they also do so much through distribution that you have to add at least a month of time to just like product lands in, into DCs in the U S that then get shipped to distributor distribution centers, which then get shipped to retailers. And that all has to happen at the pretty much as close to the same moment as possible as they are landing on the shelves at Walmart, Target, et cetera. So that, that's like a right. lot of juggling that takes at least a couple of months to like really plan for. I think my point is that you can cut some of that timeline off though, because there, there's no selling and there isn't really development if you're basing it off. Like it doesn't, okay, I guess it's like this. If, if, if Historic Masters had to be an exciting product in the way that Modern Masters, or even even let's just say like, well, no, Modern Masters, because those are purely reprint sets. Mm-hmm. They're trying to service a piece of the economy, the magic economy, the cards that haven't been reprinted. Yep. They want to be exciting draft sets. Well, 
I guess if you want to make historic one of those sets where it's going to be drafted, like you have to take your time with it in the same way. But when I think about it, I don't think about it that way. I think about it as a purely supplemental product where it's like, let's just make sure the cards that people want to be playing are in their hands. So let's just take this list of 100 cards and print them and make it a small print run and sell them. But then because then we can make historic a format. Well, then I don't, a, I don't think you need to do that, right? Like, a, a, like most of these cards just exist. Like Pioneer had the same influx of these cards are now worth money, right? Like uh, most of the cards right. are historic. I mean, there are some that aren't. Um, and th- I think that you could do from the vault or other things. I do agree that you can maybe print some of them out into the world in ways, but like for the most part, it's not hard to get them barrel rights. It's not hard to get cycle lands. It's not hard to get fauna shamans, right? Like these are cards that have been printed yeah. a few times. Uh, most people have them in collections in some way. And so if historic became a format, those cards are as available as tarm, like, yeah, I guess Tarmogoyf was when Modern was created. If In fact, a lot of these are way more available than Tarmogoyf was when Modern was first created. So I think that's less of an issue to me. I think the biggest issue for them is just timing of things, right? Like if they wanted to say, this is every card in Historic that's not in, that's not in, like, hasn't been printed regularly in Standard. Those are hard, like that could change any moment, right? They could just add more cards. They could be Jumpstart 2. Yeah. And then now they're balancing that that's as well. True. So like, or like there could be historic anthology 17 at that point. So I think, I think for me, like, I think they would just do it correctly. Right. They just release it like a normal master set. Um, I, I like the idea of doing a historic masters to print those cards out, but I, and I, I don't think, I don't agree with master sets having to be draft formats from a, a personal perspective. Right. I like wish that they weren't in some ways. Cause I think one of the big feel bads is you're printing these very expensive draft formats that are very, very, very cool, but most people can't afford which we've like touched upon in like four episodes at this point <laughs> on yeah. the channel. But I do think that wizards thinks that these need to be draft formats. So I can't imagine wizards just being like, here's a hundred cards. They don't work together. They don't even come in packs. You just like, how does that work for them? They like need draft to work with all product releases or with all main flagship product releases in a way that I don't think that they would do it differently than that. Especially because it doesn't I cost actually them think, much. I actually think the more, the more you talk about it and I think about it, I actually don't think releasing a booster pack style release to not be drafted is something they can do. Cause I actually, the, there's a, everybody knows that you get more value by buying singles. Everybody knows you lose money. If you buy a box, mm-hmm. like there's, there can, sometimes there's moments when a set is released that if you buy the box, then, you know, you can maybe profit from it. But generally speaking, it's more valuable to just buy the cards you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and because everybody knows that the real reason you buy a pack is because you have an experience that goes along with that pack. And if you buy a pack and you don't open it, you hold on to it, it's because later you'll get to do a chaos draft or something. So if you're releasing a product set in a 15 card, you know, three uncommon, one rare uh, booster pack style format, you can't draft it. It's like, why would anybody buy the pack then? Why, Why would anybody open the pack? You would just wait for the cards to be open, buy them and like, so I think that's like the, why you would have to sell it that way. Mm -hmm. So I think if it was going to be sold in a way that's like not, then it has to be more of a premium release. Like, here's, you know, a 75 card premium product that we're selling for $100. It's the 75 most played cards in historic. You get one of each. It's a hundred bucks. That's what it is. We're selling it. It's like a secret layer almost. Except that that wouldn't be a hundred dollars, right? Like right now, the established price for a hundred dollars is one of these super packs, right? For double masters. Yeah. And that like is 15 cards. They're all promo art stuff, but they're still 15 cards. Like I I don't think Wizards ever prints cards in that way. I think it's always going to be boot like in a different way now secret layers like doing historic anthology one as a secret layer is a different idea right because there's not too too much mythic on that side like there's not too much price cost in there so you could do that 
and a hundred and fifty and a hundred dollars and people get real cards. It's just it's hard because it's yep. established arena where people are paying thirty dollars for four of each of those cards. It'll be interesting. I think I think just doing a classic master set is going to be the way if it does happen that you could do that um, with the announcement of historic going to paper. I also think you don't even need to. I don't think any cards. I think honestly, the cards at this moment that are powerful and historic that are going to be the hardest to get your hands on are not even the anthology cards, it's the Jumpstart cards. And that's just because Jumpstart came out in a pandemic <laughs> and yeah. like like sold out immediately and now trying to get your hands on it is really difficult. So like getting a Muxus, well, I Muxus is like I, a $100 I, I card in paper if it if it if historic is paper playable. That idea you're talking about, I definitely so when we were building our decks yesterday, uh, to play in this the, the CEDH game we played. I was going through the list and I was like, oh yeah, I have this card. Oh yeah, I have that card. And then I was like, wait, I don't have that card because I never have opened a pack of that set. I literally I was like, I don't even think I've opened a pack of, of uh, Theros Beyond Death. I think it was getting open just before, I think we were opening it just before COVID. And I like was like, oh, I'll draft it. And like, oh, I'll draft it pretty soon. And like COVID hit, I like didn't go into a store I've never opened a pack of Theros Beyond Death. I've never opened a pack of Ikoria. I've never opened a pack of M21. I don't own any of those cards. I don't have a single one. I've, I've, I was like going through the list. I was like, oh, I have a Thassa's Oracle. I was like, no, I've seen Thassa's Oracle in my arena collection a bunch of times. So I think I have one, but I don't own one. Yeah, that's fair. I've like opened up. Crazy. <laughs> I opened up a lot of Theros. I opened a Mystery Boosters, but then like, yeah. Well, Ikoria and M20 happened in a pandemic, and I haven't really played. I bought singles in a pandemic. I keep posting cool single photos. I got order new cards. Like, you literally can watch me. Oh, I got this today. These two today. R of Silence mm -hmm. and uh, Commit to Memory. Sick. I, I, there, was, there was a bunch of stuff I've been seeing. Well, A, just, I mean, just to give a quick plug to Wizards, like, bravo on the actual presentation of Double Masters, uh, of those box toppers, because there is they just really good. Stunning art. I mean, like, too expensive. You're blurry. It's it fine. Sucks. Keep going. What it's happened? Just, is the world I live in. I uh, held those it's cards stunning up, art. So like, it, like, refocused. <laughs> the, the Blood Moon is amazing. The Force of Will is, like, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I, like, want it so badly. Um, there's, like, so many cards of the box toppers that are amazing. Mm -hmm. And, like, I have to tell you, so I don't spend that much money on Magic. I'm willing every once in a while to buy, like, an expensive card, you know, like, I, I sort of recently bought like a like an exploration steam vent. So I was like, that's that's a cool card. I love that card. I want to own that. So, you know, every once in a while I'll go and I'll drop like a hundred bucks on a card, something like that. But like very often I, I'm like reluctant to spend more than like more than a hundred dollars on a card. Mm -hmm. But I love the fact that Wizards over the years continues to print expensive cards into existence so that there's always like a holy grail of five hundred expensive cards that I want to own that I probably never will. Like Today I was like, oh man, those secret layer, those secret layer fetches are pretty cool. Like mm -hmm. I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't buy the secret layer. Like I wonder how much those are. I was like looking them up, and I was like, eh, I don't want to buy those. But like, <laughs> man, I wish I had one. Right, I sure wish right, I had a Mister right. Rainforest. That'd be cool to have, you know? Yep, I get it. I understand the need to buy. As I'm like looking at this deck that I just put those cards into, and there's like an Ugin, <laughs> a Japanese <laughs> anime foil Ugin in there. And I'm like, yeah, I understand that. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's cool. Promos are cool. Uh, I, I, I'm interested to see where stuff goes. I do think this set has its issues. I think double masters was a mistake from the perspective mm. of it's on a PR level. Actually, I think like opening a pack of double masters hopefully is generally worth it. It's, it's, it's swinging in the margins, right? Like if you open up a double geth foil pack, you're so sad. 
with double masters, right? Because you've now paid double, like you're paying double the money for the bad moments, the sad pack opening moments. But most of the time, the value is probably going to be there in the packs. So the sets are going to be worth more. So that's the benefit. It's just, I don't, I don't know if stretching those two extremes to the distance that they're now at, where like the bad feeling is the same and the good feeling is much better, but you're paying more. So the bad feeling is that much worse is a good thing. Uh, or, or worth it well, like i think there's i think there's also an overabundance of reprint sets i mean like that that's not a thing we used to get all the time i mean i've had a conversation with eric the other day about this in the context of you know kind of the highlander gauntlet sort of version of arena we're gonna be talking about in a minute and we were talking about double masters and he was like yeah honestly looking at the previews there's a lot of beautiful cards but these have all been reprinted feels like kind of recently for the most part i like it, there's not a lot in there that i see that's getting reprinted that gets me excited to buy these packs because i've opened a lot of these cards, if not almost all of them in other master sets over the last three or four years. Um, and it's true. We've, we've, there's been so many reprinted master sets now that like, there's not a lot of material for them to go back to. They have, that's why the box toppers become like the thing that all the previews are box toppers. Right. Except that, except that the, a lot of these cards are still expensive, right? Like double doubling season is still a $30 card. Um, you know, like there's still stuff in these sets that are just very expensive. So it, it, it's interesting. Um, it's like a game that like wizards talked about, right That's one of the reasons in the original modern master sets, they were reprinting them every two years. Um, or they like would like, they would only, they would like only let up to one point And then the next one would come out would only go two years farther. And so that way they always had at least recent sets. But once they got to kind of like cons block stuff stopped being as old and expensive as it used to be. So they had to figure out new ways to do it. Um, yeah. but yeah, that's, 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 that's interesting. So, so you, you just touched upon it. Um, uh, and it is the last thing I want to talk about today as far as historic goes and, and, and arena and it's this new format we've been working on and it's called, um, well, it's based on, we've talked about it a lot, a, a format called Highlander Gauntlet. It used to be called Highlander Roulette and in paper magic, it's hundred card singleton. Um, the reserve list is the ban list. So the only cards legal on it are cards that are not on the reserve list and you build six decks all singleton amongst each other. So if you have a soul ring in one deck, it can't be in any of the other decks. Um, and if you have a tinker in one deck, it can't be in any other deck. So this format kind of was created partially because in fact, it was created by two people that just had lunch breaks together and worked in the same company and would just like, and wait, but, but also it was important for history's sake, because I think those listening should understand this. It was created by those people and it used to be called foil Highlander roulette. And it was only foils allowed and they had to play with the actual foils they owned. So like the original version was that it was if a card had a foil printing, you could use it. We changed that to the reserve list because like there was just stupid stuff that was excluded, like every commander product. Well, and, and like, like and and foils became a debatable item, right? Like our yeah, invocations right, right. foil kind of <laughs> are are like the spell book releases. Do they count as foil? Yes. And like Wizards is playing more and more in that space. And so I was. I was like reticent to be like, there might be like weird gold trim. Like are the, the basic lands from the unglued release from this year, foil lands, they have gold trim on them, <laughs> but there's not like a foil. Uh, well, I mean, that doesn't matter. Cause but, I mean, but in like, terms of distinction, uh, but anyway, I, I only added in because it's funny to think they were playing with literally all of the bad foils they own to sure. make a deck. And then that became like, you have to build six. There can be no repetitions. And we did that for a long time. We had an event we were going to actually play at GP Vegas last summer. We ended up deciding not to do it. Um, and now this idea that you're kind of leading into is we can't play that format, obviously, on Arena because it doesn't exist. We could play it on Moto, but we want to invest in Arena. We, we think that Wizards is putting a lot of time and energy behind it, and it's a great format, or it's a great uh, product. Mm-hmm. So 
um, we're trying to come up with a version we can play on Arena. So I'll let you continue. Yeah, so so there's there's obviously a few limitations on Arena, but uh, um, we've been playing. I've been playing a lot of Gladiator Magic. This is a Ben Wheeler from LLR, LRR, um, uh, kind of created format. So he, he, at least he's been popularizing it pretty significantly. And what that is is it's a hundred card singleton. It's like Canadian Highlander brought into Arena and. Um, Highlander Roulette is like the, the version of Canadian Highlander that we play a lot. So I was like, oh, what is this possible? Is this something you can do? And kind of looked at the different things. One of the big challenges is is the mana base, right? Like there's only um, uh, four color fixing land cycles in in uh, historic available. So you have shocks, you have um, temples, you have check lands, and you have the triumphs. And then you have the other, and, and then beyond that, you have the guild gates, you have bad guild gates, or just guild gates without the word gate attached to them um and you have the gain lands you then have uh terramorphic expanse you have evolving wilds and you have sacred passage right that's the the, 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 fable passage passage, the the rare one you have um field of ruin uh which and you have lotus the lotus land so those are the like there's like and isn't there's like a rupture spire variant i think you can play there's a few there's two different rupture spire there's like the gate rupture spire and there's rupture spire there's a few other bad um limited color fixing lands but those are those are like those five the the three evolving wilds uh and the the lotus land and field of ruin are like the good mana fixer rares uh, or uh, mana fixing lands. So that's and then you have and then you have the um, the new the jumpstart and just play you choose a color lands right. So those are kind yeah. of pseudo triland d- double lands because you could pick you could play play them in three color decks and you can choose either or and then yeah yeah. So so that's the the mana fixing and so that's that's a pretty big limitation. The other one is just historic is a smaller card pool. Um, so like and and trying to limit the amount of decks people have so people could be a little bit more creative because one of the cool things about historic or, or Highlander is just people have different wheels that are totally different and the way you kind of uh, figure out the puzzle is really interesting and so we wanted to make sure that that was the same so what we've leaned into is four hundred card decks singleton amongst all of them um, and then you don't need and then and then you just have to make sure that your your color balance works and and so far it's been it's been fun uh, in playtesting open the feedback it's it's best out of five matches or best out of three so in in um uh, highlander roulette it was best out of three or best out of seven and seven was like when you were one-on-one so me and ben have played a lot of best out of seven games because we'd be traveling together and playing and the idea is you'd play um obviously if someone wins four games they just win so you play as many games as you want you, you play as many games until someone gets to four if you get to the 3v3 moment you then uh, it used to be you would roll off, so you'd roll to see who which deck out of all of them. So it'd be back to kind of the beginning, and you'd replay a deck. Towards the end, we were leaning towards you pick. So there's like a mind game of like, oh, if you're playing, I think your yeah, best. He's gonna pick his best deck. He thinks it's his best deck. I think this is my best counter, but he knows I'm gonna think that, so I'm gonna pick the, right. yeah, that whole thing. There's like a fun game of like, oh, if I know what I'm worst against, I'm gonna play the best deck against what I think he pick against my will, and then you get into it. So it's it's really fun. Um, so we, we wanted to re- replicate that. Also, just it makes it a little bit more manageable. Best out of five is easier than best out of seven. Um, and you it makes it a little bit... So if you're doing best out of three, you get to play three out of your four decks. And it's 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 fun for everyone. So um, that's a little bit more manageable on a time time sync perspective. So so it's 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 we're excited about it. Um, we'll, we'll probably be streaming it in some format, not during the Commander stream, but on, on other nights. Um, Michael has a wheel. We have a bunch of other people in, in Discord kind of building decks, and, and we're excited to try it, try it out and play with everybody. 
Yeah, no, it's going to be really, be. really cool. Um, it, it, it should be a really good opportunity for us to kind of bring some of the flair and energy that we've we've had with Roulette for the last few years and, and kind of bring it to you guys. Because the thing is that's interesting is that even though the card pool is going to be like significantly less powerful, obviously, you know, you don't get to play with all the vintage cards. Historic is just going to keep growing. And and right now, for the foreseeable future, you know, I mean, we're, you know, we're recording this end of July. I don't think we're going to really consistently be going to magic events or stores you know for some some anywhere between the next six months and a year mm -hmm. like that's that's probably realistic like could be end of the year but i think it's realistically next year so this will be the format this will be the eternal format that we really you know is getting pushed that we can commit some time into and and because it has so many similarities to historic um in terms of the card pool and what's powerful it'll be a really fun way for us to kind of develop our own thing and get you guys into it and once paper magic starts up again we can go to stores again um we can maybe bring some of you guys over to highlander gauntlet because it is it is still my all-time favorite format it's just it's a harder one to approach. Yeah, it, it's just so hard to build the decks. It's so much work, and this is like this is this is a much more manageable, right? You only need four decks. Um, it's on arena, so it's a little bit easier to keep track of stuff. What I would recommend to players is like, and maybe what I'll do is a I'll link to the Discord. Uh, I'll link to the Masters of Modern Discord. We'll have a room just for or an area just for um, uh, whatever we end up calling this uh, Highlander or Gauntlet Roulette, <laughs> uh, Arena Highlander, whatever uh, Arena Gauntlet maybe is where we end up. But um, it it we'll we'll have a Discord area for it, um, so people can jump in. Uh, obviously, please if you have a better name than I just came up, please comment there. So I'll put a, a link to our Discord, the MMCast Discord, uh, into the description of this episode and this video, um, and then we'll also. Um, what I might do is include like either an image or, or just like a, a Google doc sheet that'll be locked, but you can see all the different lands that are available that you can print out and then just check off when you add them to decks to keep track. Cause that's the, that's the thing that I like, especially with the, the, the thriving lands, the, the jumpstart lands. Those are the ones that I was like, Oh, did I just put the white one in every one of these decks in this wheel? <laughs> and yeah, when you look right. back, you're like, Oh no, it's in three of them. Okay. I need to get rid of it in two. So it's good to have a check mark list, um, but it's really fun. It, it's a blast. Yeah, I also think uh, so. So, so talk to me for a second because I've only just started building my first deck, but you've yeah. already kind of got the full wheel together. You and Michael have been playing a little bit. Um, what what did you build? Kind of where where, like, where did your where did your um, design go? So I started because like the first thing I had built already was a like I started with my 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 gladiator decks right. So I had an Abzan, and Michael literally just took four of his gladiator decks and just made sure there are no crossovers. And then that's his, his, his wheel. Um, so the first gladiator deck I had was, or the one I was like most excited about was like a birthing pod esque green, black, white um, creature value shenanigan list. And uh, right up my alley. <laughs> uh, birthing pod like in every format. Decks. Yeah. Um, and I was messing with it. And I realized because of the, like the limitations of which lands you can have in each deck. And I knew I wanted, um to do a lands deck so i wanted none of the fetch lands to be in this one i like brought it down to red white red black and it just ended up being uh, a, an aristocrats list a red black aristocrats list there's just so many powerful red black aristocrat cards that it, like made sense um then i made a like a bant half blue white control half uh blue green ramp kind of situation so it's a, a like bant ramp bant control um deck that's playing like field of ruin um, and then there's a, um, black, white soul sisters deck. That's just okay. leaning into those cards. Cause there's like a lot of really powerful life gains matters cards. Um, and it has like the sanguine bond combo with the vampire, the new one that was printed. Yep. Uh, which is yep. apparently yeah, you play, I'm, I'm you'd like play Luris in there. Probably Luris is in the, uh, aristocrats deck. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cause you don't need white to play that card. Cause it's a hybrid card. 
Yeah. There's not an internet community that's very aggressive about the definition of hybrid. <laughs> it, had, it, it had lifelink, so I thought maybe you'd put it in there just to like just to get yeah, back it, all your like Sarah ascendants and you're all like those things. It could go in either one. It just is a little bit more valuable in the aristocrats one, right? Because you're just you're you're trying to sacrifice stuff. Um, and there's an argument that there's like a Mardu aristocrats life gain soul sisters deck that's out there that like you could combine the two and then do something else with some of the like red spells that I'm using there, and I might end up yeah. doing that in the long run. Um, and then there's four, right? So one more. Oh, just red, green, yep. just red, green, good creatures and removal spells and red. Gruel, and just gruel, basically. Um, I have a Grixis like discard based, like cycling discard based deck. That was my fifth. Cause I, I, when I tried building this, I built it with five, five decks and I tried building a six. And at that point I was like, Oh, there's not enough lands to pull this off <laughs> without like significantly having like a bunch of mono, like monocolor decks in the format. Um, I was yeah. trying to make a Artifacts Matter, um, Dance of Mance or whatever uh, a deck. And sure, that one yeah, was yeah. like kind of there. Just all the artifacts you're playing with are very medium. And I just like wasn't able to cut down and get the colors right. So that that's that's on my back burner for wheel two. Um, but I'm, I'm stoked. I'm stoked by the format. It's really fun. That's cool. Yeah, I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take probably the 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 you know blue black roguish sort of thing. Mm -hmm. It's either that or or a blue green merfolk. I think, and, and start with like one of those two styles. Mm -hmm. uh, and and kind of, pro probably the blue black tempo is better because I don't think blue green tempo is something that's as good. Um, I'll probably do that. You know that sounds really cool to me. There's there's definitely like a few. I think I think I could I could see building a mono red deck. It mm -hmm. feels like there's enough in there that's cool that would be a lot of fun some of the, some um, of the decks i was like thinking of trying uh mutate cycling like like both of those have just yeah. like enough support for both of them that you can get enough payoffs to go like really pull it off um i think that there was a um there's like the birthing pod deck i had originally is just like totally buildable uh there's like also like a self mill available one there's a bunch of spells matter cards or, like draw second card turn spell effects that are also really mm -hmm. good um, there's a good there's a good uh, proliferate sub theme with like planeswalkers mm -hmm. you can kind of go with if you did like bants like there's like a bant walkers because uh, there's like a bunch of those war of the spark cards that take advantage of that um you know like obviously you have the two mana card the draw card proliferate you have like the creatures there's two creatures i think that are both legal when they deal damage i know there's the white one and i think there's a Oh no, that's that's not. That's an Aether Revolt. Uh, sure. there, there's a white one that proliferates when it deals damage. There's the there's landfall like... one. There's the spells whenever you cast a spell proliferate. There's a lot yeah, of really good yeah, proliferate yeah, spells, yeah. right? And then and then there's Enchantress, right? Enchantress is around. There's like dredge. Like there's there's definitely some really cool different stuff you can do. Yeah, it's it's gonna be really fun. So so be sure to go if you're if you're watching this on YouTube right now, uh, hit that subscribe button. Obviously, leave a comment below if you have any questions with your thoughts on this format because we're pretty excited about this. I think this is gonna be something you guys are gonna start to see on on the Cast Wiley uh, uh, Twitch. You'll see it on my Twitch as well, which is Ben Bateman streaming, and uh, and we'll be playing more of it. We'll be we'll be trying to kind of introduce this as a piece of the of the podcast. So hit that thumbs up button, guys. Hit subscribe. Leave a comment below, and I think that's gonna kind of wrap up the episode for yeah. tonight. Uh, make sure to follow us on the internet. I am at Cast Wiley everywhere from twitch to discord to facebook to well, not facebook i guess i'm just alex kessler there <laughs> use your real name to instagram to twitter um i'm on twitter all the time if you have any questions you want to hang out uh make sure to follow the mm cast we're at the mm cast on 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 twitter uh you can follow please follow like subscribe on youtube check out our patron uh, it is how all of the editing that Marshall has to do to make this a feasible kind of uh, uh, enterprise uh, to work and, and it, all the equipment stuff that didn't be able to a increase all of our efforts 
in the streaming world, as well as um, just being able to do this during a COVID moment is all provided by our patrons. Thank you so much uh, to everyone who's been a contributor this uh, this whole time. And, and we appreciate you. You don't even know how much we appreciate you guys uh, and girls. Yeah, um, thank you guys so much. You guys can follow me at Ben Bateman Media. Obviously, check out what I'm doing over on YouTube.com slash Nerds and Suits. I've got cool interviews going up on there, music stuff as well. Uh, and then, yeah, Twitch.tv slash Ben Bateman Streaming is the new thing I'm putting a lot oh, of time into. So uh, thanks for watching. Thanks one, for watching. La- one last thing. Sorry. Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, in your thing, no, no, uh, this weekend is Gen Con. Um, we are going to do BattleBot streaming uh, content. So we we kickstarted a game a year and a half ago. It comes out this October, um, and we are going to do live stream previews of stuff. We're going to preview four player mode. We're going to do a, a live stream um, commander or a, a kind of design panel where Ben's going to interview me and Michael. That's probably happening Friday morning. Um, so this like earlier today <laughs> but we'll be really we'll be available there in video form um and then there's just gonna be a bunch of other content you can pre-order battle bosses for the first time so if you go to kest.co slash shop you can buy battle bosses it's available to pre-order uh it'll get to you by november um and you can buy the deluxe version or individual bosses and um the more you buy now the more helpful it is for us because we're like doing final ordering they're cutting tooling as we speak we just finally got all the graphics to them the factory so we're getting to the point where we're gonna have to eventually write like the actual quantity we bring in and the more of a read we get from people pre-ordering it the more we can bring in uh and kind of build a community around it so definitely check that out please keep an eye out we'll be live streaming on youtube channel and twitch and all those other places battle bosses content all weekend thanks so much yeah i can't believe it almost all right guys all right thanks everybody you guys are the best talk to you next week next week this has been a production of time traveler media sending podcasts into the future